today? Everybody doing good? All right. Some of you are. Anybody doing good today? Yeah. All right. Hey, you know your best life is a connected life. Uh, a life that's first connected to God, of course, but then a life that's connected to other people because nobody fulfills destiny alone. And uh, there's got to be uh, a teamwork a dr that makes the dream work happen kind of mentality in all of us. And uh, this next weekend, we're going to have an incredible time with Bob and Audrey Meisner, who are uh, two of the probably the best that I've ever heard in terms of just relationship and the grace that's on them, the anointing that's on them. You know, some people have uh, certain anointings for certain things, and uh, they do for relationships, and, and they've earned it the hard way, uh, but they've got it. And I just would encourage you, um, you know, there are things that work in our lives that want to isolate us, uh, you know, mindsets or uh, heartaches or disappointments or just stuff that happens in life, and um, all of us need to learn how to stay connected to the right people. So uh, I just want to encourage you to do whatever you need to do to be a part of this uh, weekend, Friday night, and then Saturday morning, 10 to 12, next Sunday. We're just going to invest in being connected in a good and a healthy way. So uh, if you would register, that would just help us uh, to know how many people to prep for, and we're going to have a great time next weekend. Amen. Everybody say better. Better. That's the series we're in. Uh, we're walking through the book of Hebrews, and uh, Hebrews is telling us all about uh, the better that God has for us, the better that Jesus is, the better covenant that's built on better promises, the better hope that we have, uh, the better things that are ours and salvation. So many things. And uh, I'm convinced that no matter what level of life you're on right now, God has something better for you. Anybody believe that? Yeah. yeah, come on. The next level is better for you. And uh, we just keep going from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. And uh, uh, so uh, today we are going to talk about the family throne, the family throne. And I want to read a few verses. Uh, it's a little, it's a chunk of scripture, but... I want to get us started on this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, having become as much better, everybody say better, better than the angels, as he, Jesus, has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, or today I have begotten you, and again, I will be a father to him, he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God... Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. 
They will all become old like a garment, like a mantle. You will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? You'll notice in uh, the way that some of these verses are up there uh, that uh, some of these uh, words are in caps. We're not intending to shout, uh, but, uh, but these are, these, this is the way the software that I have for my Bible um, thing on my laptop works in that everything that is an Old Testament scripture is put in caps. The other day, 4th of July, um, I'm asking my uh, six-year-old grandson, Levi, um, I'm saying, Levi, do you know what the 4th of July is about? And uh, Levi, knowing that I'm asking the question, thinks a safe answer is going to be God. <laughs> and uh, I said, no, buddy, uh, it's not about God. Uh, he goes, okay, Jesus. Um, <laughs> And I said, no, the 4th of July is not about God. It's not about Jesus. Uh, and I explained to him what the 4th of July was, and he said, boring. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but I will say that we are safe in knowing that every concept and every idea in the Bible ultimately will point us to Jesus. Jesus will be the right answer when you're asking, what is the Bible all about? And, and, and I think a, a, an understanding of this is good for us as we read our Bible and look at all of our Bible, that all the Old Testament ideas are really seed thoughts that are then unfolded within the New Testament. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And what the, what the revelation is, is that the Holy Spirit always reveals who Jesus is. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus, is, to, is for the lights to come on, for revelation to come on. Revelation is a beautiful thing because revelation is when your spirit, when your inner man, when, your, when the eyes of your heart go, oh, Aha, I get it. And it may not always be things that line up with everything that's going on around you, but in your knower, you know something. You know something that's beyond, you know something that's from a different realm, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes these scriptures that sometimes we would not have even thought about them uh, actually relating to Jesus or to a thought that's revealed in the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit unfolds all of that. And as we walk through the book of Hebrews, uh, what we're going to discover over and over again is that Hebrews is a revelation of the new covenant. It's a revelation of the new plan. It's the revelation of us becoming a new species of being when we're in Christ. It's a revelation of the royal priesthood that we become. Uh, Hebrews is going to tell us, and I'm excited to be able to teach on this. It's a kind of a thing I saw several years ago, but that Jesus' priesthood is in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was an Old Testament king and priest. 
Aaron was a priest, but Melchizedek was a king and a priest. So there is a godly, kingly, priestly, married together authority that is given to Jesus and to us. Somebody say amen. Amen. So today I want to talk about the family throne, and I want to give you a few ideas to kind of put all this together. Number one idea is this, our family tree is strong. It's become a real popular thing now. There's lots of shows where people are kind of looking at DNA and figuring out who their, who their past ancestors are. People are spitting in envelopes and sending it off and figuring out, you know, what their ancestry is. And, uh, and, and so to, to know what your family tree is is a powerful thing. There are things that are part of your life because of your natural family tree, but there are things that are now a part of your life because of your spiritual family tree. Who you are in Christ is different than just the person you were when you were just your daddy's son or your mama's daughter. So Hebrews 1 uh, verse 5, I want to read these verses. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you, and again I will be a father to him. These are family terms, right? And he shall be a son to me when he again brings the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. He brings the firstborn into the world, and he says, let all the angels of God worship him. The Bible gives this idea that Jesus is the firstborn of a new species of being. That it is not so much that Jesus is born, because Jesus is God, he, he, he's always been, so he's never been born or created, but what the Bible teaches is that there was a, uh, a man called Adam who was uh, the proton, the prototype of the beings that God wanted to have on the planet, that Adam sinned and opened the door for curse to come into the planet. But Jesus is the firstborn of a race that we all become a part of when we become born again. Jesus is the proton. Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the firstborn. Adam is the firstborn in that he was the first man ever. He disobeyed God, and everyone under Adam is under the curse of Adam's disobedience. But when we embrace Jesus and become born again, we enter into a new race. The Bible calls him the second Adam. And now he's the firstborn. Everybody who comes under his race, everybody that comes under him is now under the blessing of his obedience. Jesus broke the curse that Adam brought. And when we, be, when we embrace Jesus as the Lord of our life and we become born again, not just born the first time in the natural, but born again by embracing Jesus, we enter into this new species of being. Romans 5 gives us a lot of description of this, but I just want to take one verse It says, for by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, 
Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good verse of scripture right there. Somebody ought to be happy in church. This is important to get because everything Jesus has as the firstborn, everything Jesus does, everything Jesus has won becomes ours when we are born again. What he won becomes our victory. What he does becomes a part of our life. So when we understand this concept, we understand our family tree is strong. The more you understand who Jesus is, the more you understand who you are. Second thing I want to say about the family throne is that love is in charge of your life. Come on. Come on, church. Love is in charge of your life. Hebrews 1.6, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. I just want to announce to you today that Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is always in charge. Every government, every economy, every institution, every business will come and go, but Jesus sits on the throne and is ruling over situations both big and small. Jesus sits on his throne. This is what the Bible teaches us as the king of all kings. He's the king of all the earth. There is, there is no uh, authority on the earth that is greater than him. And if, if you invite this Jesus into your life and allow him who sits on the throne to become your king, he rules sovereign as king over your life. The same God who rules the nations also knows how many hairs are on your head. Amen. Jeremiah. Love is in charge of your life when you give your life to the one who loves you. Now let me say this, and this is revelation, because you could be looking at all the circumstances of your life and going, you don't know my car's broken down, or I got these relationship problems, I got these financial problems, I got these stuff going on in my life, and if you knew what was going on in my life, you wouldn't even be talking to me like this. Pastor, what I want to say to you is this, if you give your life to Jesus, the sovereign God is taking everything and making it work together for your good. Love is in charge of your life. You, he, God is taking everything, everything that you have done well, everything that you have done poorly, everything that you have done stupid. Or look at your neighbor, say, talk about you now. 
Everything you've done stupid, everything that's been done to you, it's not all been because God wanted it to happen, but what he promises is he'll pull it all together and he'll make it work together so that you'll become more like Jesus. It's not necessarily that he'll make your life easier all the time, but he will help you become more like Jesus. And the more you become like Jesus, the more victory you walk in. I'm speaking to your faith right now. I'm speaking to your spirit right now. You can live your life in confidence. Everybody say confidence. Knowing that there is a strong, loving God who is on the throne, authority enough to rule the nations, care enough to know the hairs on your head, every sparrow that falls to the ground, and you can have this confidence in, in life knowing that a loving God is on the throne over your life. Or the God who is on the throne is in love with you. I think sometimes it's, it's easy for us to go, why is this happening to me? Anybody ever said that? Even in your own, why is this happening to me? Can I tell you that once you give your life to Christ... He is seated on the throne forever and ever. Life is not happening to you. Life is happening for you. And when, when we start to get a hold of this idea that there is a God who rules over everything, my job right now is like, Holy Spirit, show me what, what you're up to in my life because this doesn't look great, but I know you make it great. I know you use it in my life. Love is in charge of your life. The third concept I want to talk about for a minute is this. Joy is our atmosphere. Joy is our atmosphere. Amen. Just give me a big smile. Or not. <laughs> Hebrews 1.9, you have loved righteousness, hated lawlessness, Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, Jesus, with the oil of gladness. Some translations say the oil of joy above your companions. Jesus and his kingdom are full of joy. I, I, I hammer this nail a lot uh, because I still think we forget. And we don't always seem to understand the power and the place that joy has in the way God does things. The way God is, is an atmosphere of joy. The way his kingdom is, is an atmosphere of joy. The life and strength he wants us to live in is an atmosphere of joy. Couple of verses for us just to see. If you were to, if you were, if you have any software uh, that that be like a, a, a concordance on your your bio, your laptop or whatever computer, and you were to look up the word joy, you'd find over 170 verses that talk about joy in the Bible. Romans 14:17 says, "The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, and." Joy in the Holy Spirit. John 15, 11, this is Jesus talking. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy 
may be in you that your joy may be made full. Romans 15, verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are naturally happy. Some of us are naturally joyful. Some of us are not. You should stand up here and look out there <laughs> and recognize that it would be okay for some people to choose joy, choose gladness. Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. And the atmosphere of the kingdom of God is an atmosphere of joy. Now, there'd be some churches that you would not get that idea. But I'll also say there'd be some homes where you might not get that idea. Because I had to put this in my notes for first service, but it may not apply to you, but there are some homes that are kind of grumpy. Some husbands are grumpy. Some wives are are wonderful. Amen. Amen. It wouldn't hurt a thing for you to choose to be happy at the house. Amen. It wouldn't hurt a thing for you to choose to be happy in church. Amen. Amen. In other words, like when we are worshiping God, we're all just happy about it. Like, no, we're not going, when is this going to be over? How long do we have to stand? Why does it have to be so loud? What's this new smoke thing on this? What is this? I can tell you some amazing things could be happening in the house of God if we had the full lean-in of everybody that said, this place is a house filled with joy. Amen. Amen. Be all right. Come on, joy-filled marriages, joy-filled people. Joy is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. I don't know there's somebody that says, well, you're just not very deep, Pastor Kirk. You might be right. (laughs) Idea number four is this, God's river never runs dry. God's river never runs dry. So Hebrews 1.10 says, you, Lord, in the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens, they're the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment. Then like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. I, ju- I just want to remind you that Jesus never changes. And if Jesus healed people in the Bible, he can heal people today. Amen. And if, and if Jesus could lift people's lives who have been in trouble for a long time, he can do it today. 
Jesus never changes. Now, when I say Jesus never changes, some people go, yeah, I know. He just kind of stuck. He's in a rut, never changes. Like we had this lady that was in a, a former church that we were a part of, and she had this hairstyle that looked like it came out of the 1950s, and it just kind of went like this. <laughs> you ever seen that hairstyle? And so she had this hairstyle, and when we knew her, in like all the years we knew her, she had the same exact hairstyle. It never changed. That didn't mean she was like Jesus. And, and sure enough, we saw a picture of her at some outing that we'd gone to, and her high school picture. <laughs> when I say Jesus never changes, what I am saying is, Jesus is always an endless supply of love, of creativity. Jesus is an endless supply of ideas. Jesus is an endless supply of resource. God is never going to run out of love for you. He will never change. God is never going to run out of grace for you. He's never going to change. God will never run out of anointing for you. God will never run out of resource for you. If God did it before, he can do it again. Amen. And if he didn't do it before, he could do something new today because he's not running out of ideas. And I know sometimes it's easy to look back and say, oh, the good old days. I wish things would never change. Now, I'm glad things change. I see pictures of our stage sometimes. You know, Facebook will bring up uh, memories from six years ago. And I look at our stage and I'm going, ooh, that is God awful. What were we thinking? At the time, it looked cool. The last thing I want to talk about is kind of what I've been building all this towards is I want to talk about scepters and footstools. Scepters and footstools. So Hebrews 1.13 says, To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Now this is a quotation of Psalm 110, which we're going to refer back to several times as we go through Hebrews because the concepts of Psalm 110 uh, get revealed in a great way in the book of Hebrews. But Psalm 110 verse 1 says this, the Lord says to my Lord, God says to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. And Zion in the Bible is the called out people of God. So in the New Testament, the called out people of God is what the church is. Called out from amongst the world into the house of God. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying rule in the midst of your enemies. I want to talk about us being the scepter in God's hand, the scepter that he releases his authority in the earth to. And I, it takes a couple things. Number one, it, it takes a revelation of God's greatness, a revelation of God's greatness. Psalm 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. We, the church, are involved in an enterprise that cannot fail. 
Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And I, sure, sure, fake news might tell us sometimes, though the church is declining, the church is going down. Baloney! The church is marching forward. The church is stronger than it's ever been. And God's purpose in church, through church, for church, always going to keep moving. And when you, when you attach yourself to the house of God, when you serve the house of God, give to the house of God, pray in the house of God, worship in the house of God, you can know this. All of history is marching toward this idea. God is going to make everything you know come under the submission of Jesus' lordship. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're, you're in on the thing that's going to last forever. The greatness of God is marching forward. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 says, Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom, when Jesus delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule, all authority, and power, for he must reign. Everybody say reign. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. I think to really be used of God... We have to carry this revelation of God's sovereign rule over all of history. I, I remember when I first gave my heart to Christ, it was in a little bitty church in New Orleans, and that church was probably maybe 80 people. It grew to about 120. Somebody got mad and got a few other people enlisted in being mad, and they left the church, and it would shrink down to 80 and then it would grow again to about 120, and then somebody else would get mad, and then they'd enlist a few other people to kind of share their offense with them. They'd leave the church, the church would go back to 80, and, and at that time, I remember there was this song that was on, on the Christian radio, the church triumphant is alive and well. Maybe old timers might remember that song, I don't know, but anyway, and I, I would think, they'd never been to my church. But I just, I just want you to know that the church is God's idea. The church triumphant is God's idea. The greatness of God is going to be exhibited through his church. All of history. We, we're, we're on the plus side of all that history is moving towards. Second thing I want to say is that we are indispensable to his plan. We, the church, believers, are indispensable to his plan. Verse 2, the Lord of Psalm 110, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from your called out people, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. In the Old Testament times, kings would sit on their throne and with their scepter in their hand, they would go, good, condemned, in the favor of the king, not in the favor of the king, and would stretch forth their scepter to either, to either bring blessing or to bring condemnation, to bring honor or to bring condemnation. We are the scepter in God's hand. God extends his authority 
into the earth through us. Without him, we could not do this amazing work of advancing the kingdom of God. But I also want you to know that without us, he will not do that work. Because when God created Adam, he placed, he placed the earth under Adam's authority. Adam, tend this garden. I'm going to give this garden the opportunity to be fruitful and blessed, but I'm giving you authority over the garden. And God, God does not take back the authority he gave. That's why when Adam gave up his, his lordship to the devil, the devil began to release curse into the earth. God put the earth under the authority of mankind. He'll not take that authority back. He'll not supersede that authority. That's why God's always looking for someone who will stand in the gap for what he wants to do in the earth. God just searching to and fro for somebody who will say, yes, Lord, use me. Work through me. Speak through me. Give through me. Touch people through me. We are indispensable to his plan. A praying people releases the sovereignty of God. I still think our church can grow a lot in this. Because we have prayer meetings that are often very poorly attended because the revelation of the reality of the spiritual realm and the battle being won there, you cannot win the world with natural means. Anybody with me on this? There is a spiritual battle on for the soul's of men and women and children and the advancement of the kingdom. And a praying people justifies God's action in the earth. God can do anything he wants to do. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to honor the authority he's given to men. He wants to honor, he wants to keep his word. He wants his promise to go forth. He wants his plan to continue to go forward. Adam aligned himself with the devil when he rebelled, and that released curse into the earth. Jesus came, firstborn as a man, to break the legal, rightful hold that the enemy had on the planet. Come on, church, we are here to release blessing. Not just in church, but wherever God disperses you, in school or, you know, at your workplace or at the grocery store, wherever you are, God, you are indispensable to the plan of God. He stretches forth his strong scepter from Zion. And then the last thing is we have to have a, a ruling mentality, a ruling mentality. Psalm 110, 2 again the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule. Everybody say, rule. Rule where? In the midst of your enemies. I think a lot of us are waiting for the enemies to go away. We're waiting for everything to line up, everything to just get right, money to show up, the right people to show up, people quit bugging me. 
And I'm saying to you, God has sent us to rule, not when everything gets easy, because if we're waiting for everything just to line up, you can be waiting a long time. When we were a little church meeting in a shopping center and we said, it's time for us to move forward, it wasn't because we had $2 million sitting in the bank. There were walls, there were giants, there were difficulties, but we knew God wanted us to move forward. We had to learn to rule in the midst of our enemies. Am I preaching this okay? You had to rule in the midst of our enemies. And there's always walls, there's always giants, there's always difficulties. And I know some people say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what, what I'm, under the circumstances I'm in, and I'm, I want to say, please don't be under the circumstances you're in. You got to rule in the midst of your enemies. You, you can't... You can't spend your whole life blaming your boss. I said, you can't spend your whole life blaming your parents, blaming your circumstances. What I'm saying is, we got to realize the family throne. We are given a certain authority as sons and daughters of the king. You, you, you have authority over your choices. And you get to choose whether you will give your life to Christ or whether you will say no. You get to choose whether you'll walk in joy or not. You get to choose. God's given you that ruling authority for your life. I want to pray with you today. I want you to bow your heads and Close your eyes. Father, I am praying for the revelation of all of this to come alive inside of our lives. You're so for us, and you want to release so many great things through us. I'm just praying for every man, woman, child hearing this message that there is an understanding of this incredible family throne that's been handed to us. If, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to take a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've never just submitted your life to Jesus. You've never given him the lordship of your life. I think you're ready for it today and I want to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you used to be close to God. You used to be on fire. You used to love God, love the things of God, love the house of God, but now you're not where you want to be, where you used to be, where you could be, where you should be. I would love to pray with you. Or maybe you just feel unsure. You don't feel confident about where you stand in your relationship with the Lord. And this is a step. It's a step in the right direction. But if you're here today, nobody's looking around, but you want to give your life to Christ for the first time or you want to come back to him and just submit afresh and anew or you just say I don't I don't know that I feel confident about where I am with God 
I want you to pray with me. I want you to lift your hand real high and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? All over this room, God bless you. God bless you. Come on, anybody else? God bless you. Just lift your hand real high and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I, I need to come back to him. I want to make sure I'm right with him. Come on, you to open your heart. This is not a call for you to get your act together. This is a call for you to surrender to this God who loves you, this God who is for you. Come on, is there anyone else that says, I want to be included in this? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. This is for everybody who lifted their hands, but come on, let's do this together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I open my life. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I surrender to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord?